0: get your Bibles out. You can get your message notes. If you don't have message notes, I think the ushers have them, and they'll hand them out to you, and um, I'm going to start with this, all right? So, I have found that there are things that divide people. There are issues. There are things that cause conflict in communities. And, um, I'm going to do like a little poll here to see kind of where we sit on some of these issues, all right? The first issue is black licorice. (laughs) How many people think that black licorice is evil? Raise your hand. Tastes like gasoline, right? (laughs) It's weird. It's like, I don't know. I don't understand. What is this? Tastes terrible. Okay, how many people love black licorice? It is like, wow. You guys are way too excited about that, trying to convince everybody else. Okay, how about this one? When we look at, you know, pitting superheroes against each other, Batman or Superman? Which one is it? How many people think that Batman is a better superhero than Superman? Okay, how many people think that Superman is the best superhero? <laughs> no, no, no. It's clearly Batman. It's clearly Batman. He has to do, do do everything with his own ingenuity. He is super smart. It's amazing. Yeah. Okay. All right. So, so third one. Aggies and Longhorns. How many Aggies we got in the room? Sad. Pitiful. Pitiful. How many Longhorns? Kind of sad. <laughs> Those were the only two options. Marcus, yeah. <laughs> yes, it is. is. Number four. Number four. This is known to divide families. Christmas Eve or Christmas Morning? How many Christmas Eve people we celebrate on Christmas Eve? Yeah, very nice. All right. How many? How many Christmas Mornings? Okay. Yes, you can do both if you'd like to. If you want to be like the Mohans. The the, uh, the Christmas Eve. I grew up doing Christmas Eve, loved it, and then uh, I switched it to Christmas Morning with our kids, and so I have learned to love Christmas Morning looking like death <laughs> number five here it is and this is this is really a deal in our house are you an arrived fashion really late person or are you an on-time person all right fashionably really late people come on let's see you <laughs> kind of ashamed of yourself aren't you <laughs> how many on-timers we got Yeah, it's not true because at 11.30, most of you were not here. What is the deal there? I'm calling you out on that one. So, uh, (laughs) Marty just told me. (laughs) Actually, it was true in all the services, 9.30, 10.30, 11.30. All the on-timers, they say they're on time, but they don't come to church on time. I don't know what it is. Married to somebody that's not on time. All right. Here's what I want to say to you. I want you to look around the room for a minute. Look around the room. Just look look at the people, smile at them. Yes. These are people with which you have fundamental disagreements. These are people that you have conflicts with about different ideas. There are different values that are held within the room. Here's what I want to suggest to you, that all relationships have conflict. All relationships have conflict. It's just that some relationships learn how to work through it. We've been in a series called Community. We're talking about different elements of community. Today, we're going to talk about conflict and communication. Conflict and communication. The question, why do some couples grow apart as they grow old and other couples grow together? Why is it that some friendships really become strong and encouraging and other friendships wither and die? Why do some families grow together and others apart? Why, Why is it that some people have a difficulty with conflict at work or with their teenagers? Or in their marriage and other people figure it out. Listen, I think there's a way that we think about how conflict works that makes the difference. I think it's the way we think about conflict and whether or not it's good or bad. And I, I tend to think that it can be really good. I tend to think that conflict can be healthy and it can be something that a community embraces and I think there's a, in our culture right now, there's an idea that fights against this. There's an idea that fights against this concept that, that, that co- conflict can be worked through. And it is this idea. This idea. If I, if I disagree with someone, then I cannot love them. I think that's a false idea. It's a false concept, but it is, it is seeping into God's people at an alarming rate. And I think we have to understand that this is a destructive idea, and it's undoing what love really means, what the definition of love actually is. Because here's, here's, here's the wrong concept, that love has become synonymous with agreement. That's not the right that's not the right way. And the reason I know, here, here's, here's the way it, it's said. Well, if you don't support me in my decisions, then you don't really love me. Right. If you don't agree with me in my political point of view, then obviously we can't be friends. We have Facebook to thank for that. Since you don't agree with the lifestyle I'm choosing, you can't possibly be in relationship with me. I think this is a false idea. I don't think it's God's idea. It's foolish to think that we cannot love someone and disagree with them at the same time. You know how I know this? Because I've raised five children. (laughs) I know that I have had to disagree with my kids from the very littlest as they go out and want to play in the street. I disagree with this whole concept. You need to play in the yard. And so I, I, there's over and over again throughout my kids' lives, I'm disagreeing with them. Where it happens a lot is in marriage. Two people living together, close proximity, (laughs) staring each other down in all kinds of ways. You're you're getting a, a look into their soul. This is the place, the seedbed for disagreements. And I, so... I think you it's okay to love someone even though you might disagree with them or you might have conflict with them. Here's what I believe. I believe really good friends have moments where they disagree. I think this happens really well in good friends. Because I think we have to I think we have to understand that good relationships press for good solutions. Bad relationships press for for personal victories. All relationships fight, but good relationships fight clean. Bad relationships hit below the belt. They, they mistreat each other. And so today I wanna talk about this a little bit because I, I wanna say this to you, love and conflict are not polar opposites. In fact, I think that love and conflict are dancing partners. They're dancing partners. There's a dance that goes between conflict and love with friends, with work, with co-workers, with marriages sometimes. Here's what I think. If you love me, I hope there's a day you might disagree with me because I don't think I'm perfect. And I think we have to get over this idea that that, um, that conflict is bad. Look at Proverbs 27.6. It's in your message notes. Proverbs 27.6 says, Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. The people you need to be afraid of is the people who say nice things about you all the time. That good friends l- figure out ways to, to wrestle through conflict in a way that's healthy, in a way that's honest, in a way that's honorable. And I think we're all learning how to do that. This is what God wants us to do. Here's, a, here's an interesting concept. If your enemies, people who don't like you, are the first ones to point out your flaws, you may not have any real friends. I think God wants to change the way we think about this in our church. And I, 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 pr- I propose that we, ha- that we start a little phrase that we are using at one chapel. And, and because here's the thing. You've got to ha- make an investment in a relationship in order to really right. tell the truth in, in conflict. And I think sometimes conflict is the investment, right? You, there comes a disagreement, and whether you lean forward or you lean back determines whether or not the relationship is healthy. And I, So I, what I propose is that we make a habit of saying this little phrase to each other sometimes. Hey, will you let me be your best friend right now? <laughs> let me be your best friend and tell you what I think you don't see. Let me help you figure this out right now. Because here's the truth, good relationships are no accident. They don't happen accidentally. They happen on purpose. And the root causes of conflict are, are many and varied. And you could see a little list of them. What causes conflict? Sometimes it's just as simple as differences. Sometimes it's as simple as misunderstandings. And I think we have to lean into one another to clear up those misunderstandings. Sometimes it's poor communication, just bad communication. Sometimes it's hurt feelings. Sometimes it's unmet expectations. We have expectations on other people and, and they disappoint us. Sometimes it's our own pride, sometimes it's selfishness, sometimes it's jealousy. All of these. Here's how James says it. James 4, 1 through 3, he says, What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire but do not have, so you kill. Oh, that's pretty aggressive. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. And when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. What James is saying here is there's some bad stuff that comes out of the desires of our heart. This whole idea that just be, let your, to, to, uh, it's a phrase that comes from, uh, I think it is Shakespeare, to thine own heart be true. Find your truth in your heart. That is the worst advice you could give anybody. Because sometimes what's in our heart are are really bad desires. James says the motives that are in our heads, the the motives of what we want, they're not always clean and clear wrong we're many times we're looking to the wrong source to get what we want and even when we ask God who's the right source we ask with bad motives and and listen God knows how that works and so he's the only one who can clear all that up right he can work in our hearts and work in our minds but here's how he does it he does it in a community of people he works with us together and I think what we're trying to do here is become the kind of community that is the actual first original alternative community where people can come from a, a place, a, a world, a culture where they're violated, they're tyrannized, they, they, they're mistreated, and they come to a place where people honor each other, respect one another, not afraid to have conflict, but will, are willing to work through it respectfully and in a healthy dynamic. This is what we're after. Conflict is a big deal to God. You know why? It's conflict is a big deal to God because unity is a big deal to God. John 17, 20, look at it in your verse there, in your message notes, John 17, 20 through 21. My prayer is not for them alone, Jesus says, as he's praying for his disciples, he says, I pray also for those who believe in me through their message that th- all of them may be, what does it say? All of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Jesus had a plan. This is our our namesake verse for one chapel. Jesus had a purpose for putting people together. It's not just about unity so we can feel better. Oh, we just like each other. We just feel so unified. No, there's something much more profound that's part of a community that works together. And it is this strategy, this evangelistic strategy when people see who God is through the way we treat each other and through the way we treat others. Number two, Conflict is a big deal to God because people are a big deal. People are a big deal. Look at what Jesus says in Matthew 5, 23. This is the Sermon on the Mount. It says, therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, everybody say first. First go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. What is Jesus saying here? He's saying when you come to a moment where you're offering something, you're giving something sacrificially, or you're coming to a, a moment of worship, he wants you to prioritize the relationships that are not right. He wants you to think about the person who's got something against you. He wants you to, he wants you to make that right as soon as possible. He's making a, a hierarchical uh, uh Uh, view of biblical principles there's a hierarchy of things that are most important and what he's saying is your personal ritual sacrifice or even worship is not the most important what is most important is the way people are relating to each other, the way we're treating each other, the way we're fixing things that are broken and the way we're dealing with conflict that's what he's saying that's the kind of community that Jesus wants us to be. Number three, the reason conflict is a big deal to God is because my heart is a big deal. Your heart is a big deal to God. Proverbs 4.23 says, above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. And sometimes when conflict becomes unresolved in your life, when we begin to not allow other people to work through conflict with us or or we refuse it, bitterness begins to take a deep root in our hearts. Unforgiveness begins to spring forth. Anger becomes a way of dealing with things and everything's angry and we're breaking relationships right and left because we've got this hurt and this woundedness inside of us. This is what conflict can do to a person if it's not dealt with in a healthy way, in a positive way, in a, in a biblical way. So I wanna give you some choices. I wanna challenge you to choose some things. Here we go, are you ready? I, wanna, I want you to look at, look at your message notes, choices in conflict. Number one, here's what I think we have to do. I choose to act and not react. I choose to act and not react. Conflict often increases when we have unnecessary overreactions. I don't know if you've ever experienced this in your family, but I just came off of a one-week vacation. I have found the place where conflict reigns most. It is in a minivan over 18 hours (laughs) on the road. (laughs) A closed space with six people. And, and, and we had a great time there, and you know, but, but uh, over, the, over the vacation, you're just in different scenarios, you're in different environments, and things that you're having fun, and then suddenly everybody's all grouchy and cranky. And there's this thing that happens, and so I, I actually have a little confession I'm going to make today. So I'm, we're getting ready to come back from vacation. And uh, you know, it's always fun to pack the van to go on vacation. It is not fun to pack the van to come home from vacation, so I'm, I'm at the parking lot, and I'm, I'm packing the van, I'm trying to do it, and it's already been done a little bit uh, by uh, my, my second oldest, Taylor, and he's, he's, and I get there, and I want to rearrange it. <laughs> and so he gives me a, he gives me a really nice, I forget exactly what he said, but he started to criticize the way that I thought the van should be packed, And I was kind of, I don't know, I was kind of grumpy, and I didn't even realize it was was there, and I was like, and he he just, he kind of hit me with two or three comments about what it should be, and you know, 19-year-olds, they know a lot, and I, (laughs) and so I should have listened, but instead, what I did was, I said, would you just shut up? I know Christian Cussword. <laughs> I said, "Would you?" I said, "Would you just shut up?" And he was, and he was right there too. That's why he was picking a little bit. And he just said, "Oh, oh, okay, I'll shut up." I said, "Good, shut up." And he said, "Okay, I'll shut up through the whole trip." Great. Well, you should shut up. It's like it was so dumb. <laughs> It was not my best parenting moment, <laughs> and I, I am, um, <laughs> and so I, I did I did not think about this verse Romans twelve twenty one. <laughs> it says, "Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good." Even if my teenage son was picking at me, in his own way, because he was upset. You know what I should have done? I should have acted according to the scripture, according to the relationship, according to my role. I should have acted, right? But I missed it. And so it took about 100 miles. <laughs> it took about 100 miles for me to then, because I did it kind of in front, everybody who was standing around, and my wife was like so mad. She was like, oh, great way to start home on vacation, then I said shut up. No, I didn't. No. I no, I didn't I didn't say I didn't say shut up. I promise I didn't. Uh, hey, hey. I know better than that. So 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 we're in the van. I mean it is silent. It is like it Took about 100 miles and um and I had done it in front of everybody, so I needed to apologize in front of everybody. That's what I, that's how I believe it's training. It's, it's a moment. And so I, I, I said, okay, kids, take your headphones off. All right, let's, here. Her, okay, I, I overreacted to Taylor. That was foolish. It wasn't right. I'm so sorry. Taylor, will you forgive me? I'm sorry that I treated you that way. I think, and, I, and, then I, and then I explained, I think I was reacting to some of the other things that had gone on this week and your tone and all that stuff, and you crit. Cr- critiquing how the van should be packed, and I reacted to it, and I shouldn't have. I'm so sorry. And I could see my little guys in the back, they were like, (laughs) he just apologized to Taylor. (laughs) Parents, let me encourage you that there is a role to model how to deal with conflict, how to own your own failures. And when you do that with your teenagers, it will help them. It will help them deal with their own failures. It will help them own their own issues. And so I so here's what I think we do sometimes. We keep a relational scorecard. And sometimes we don't even know that we're doing it, but we're checking it off. Oh, that that guy, he was me. and I I'm gonna overlook this one, but I'm checking it off. <laughs> and if you check off enough relations. If you have a relational scorecard, guess what? At some point you're going to check so many boxes it's just going to overflow. And and when you when you keep score, guess what happens? Somebody wins, somebody loses. And that's not that's not dealing with conflict in a healthy way. I think we have to act on God's word. We have to act according to the scriptures and according to the work of the spirit in our lives. And here's what I coach all married couples to do. I have very few rules in marriage but this is one of them. Here it is. Ready? Do the right thing no matter what the other person does. If you'll just act the right way when the other person doesn't, you will lower the level of conflict in your marriage. You will help resolve conflict. And so just do the right thing no matter what the other person does. Don't meet them at their level of conflict. And, And if you make a mistake then do the right thing as soon as you can. Apologize for it and then try to make it right. The second thing that I think we have to choose, I choose to talk and not walk. I choose to work it out and be committed to working things out instead of walking away. Sometimes when we walk away, we deny God's grace for the moment. I'm not saying you have to deal with everything right there in the moment, but you, you can't walk away from the relationship. You can't walk away from the, the commitment to resolve the conflict. And I, I think we live in a divorce culture. It has scarred a lot of people. Um, everybody's afraid of fighting because if you fight, somebody's going to leave. I think it's in our cultural psyche. And I think we deal with it with in the way that our marketing and everything else works. You know, we get tired of one product, we just move on to another. We get tired of one thing and we, there's other options available for you. This, I think we get used to this and so we don't resolve things. We don't work through things. We don't commit to things. We don't have convictions about things. I think this is the kind of community we have to be as God's people. We are Jesus' people. This is Jesus and how he dealt with his relationships and the scriptures are full of coaching. Here's the, the, the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 4, 26 through 27. He says, do not let the sun go down while you are still angry and do not give the devil a foothold. I think these two phrases were put together on purpose by inspiration of the Holy Spirit. I think I think they're on purpose because when you let things stir in your heart or your soul overnight, you give the devil a foothold. I had had a recent uh, conflict with um, Pastor Marty Irwin at work. We had a meeting and the meeting got pretty tough, and we we were arguing over some things that were that were important. These were important issues, and here's my opinion: the 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 more important the issues are, the more you may have conflict. But that's okay, because these are significant issues. So we 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 were having this meeting, and it kind of ratcheted up, and we started having this, and it got too personal, is what happened. And 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 I I kind of gave him a zinger, and he gave me a zinger, and 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 then w- we ended up just stopping the conversation, and and letting it die right there but we didn't fix it i had to go on to the next meeting i had a series of meetings i was busy till late at night so this is a rule in the family household of the parsley's we don't go to bed until relationships are okay so i i knew i had to contact marty i knew we weren't going to have a big discussion about it because it was late so i texted him and i said marty i'm so sorry So sorry we had that little conflict. I made it too personal. I really want your opinion. I want you to engage. I respect you as a leader. He responded to me by text and saying similar things, and we resolved that we were okay. And then the next day or the next couple of days, we sat and talked about it face-to-face. This is the way you have to decide to resolve conflict. Now, most of the time, people will not send the text or make the call. Why? Why? their own pride and self-righteousness and they, mis- they shouldn't have said that and I'm right and they're wrong. What, they, what we want often is personal victory rather than to, to bring healing to the conversation, rather than to work it through. Now, I wanna give you, and here's what I believe. Anytime we refuse to talk, we invite the devil in to get a foothold, all right? Anytime we refuse to talk, we invite the devil in to get a foothold here's five things that i'm going to roll through and i'm going to coach you okay so how do i have the conversation pastor ross when you want me to talk how do i have it ready here we go the first rule of communication i learned it in my freshman year in college the first rule of communication i remember remember the the teacher standing up and she said you're not just responsible for what you say you're responsible for what people hear first rule of communications. Be responsible for what they hear. Make sure that it's said so they can hear it. You own that. That is a really good rule for how to deal with communication while conflict is happening. Number two, own your own feelings. Own your feelings. In my my family, five kids, I have heard more than my share of, he made me mad. He made me, (laughs) I've even heard, he made me punch him. He made me punch him. And what we do, and so in our house, what we do is we say, no, nobody can make you do anything. Nobody can make you punch somebody. You decided to do that because you were angry and you let the anger get the best of you. Now, what you can say is, "Got so angry, I punched him. You know what that does? That means you own your feelings, you own your responsibility, you own your action. And then you can evaluate whether it was, or somebody else can evaluate whether it was right or wrong. I punched him. I shouldn't have punched him. Well, he punched me first. Okay, well, I guess you can punch him, right? It's like, <laughs> <laughs> it's like, they like th- this is the thing. If we own who we are, what we've done, wh- and now listen, when you do this, somebody can say, oh, I didn't know those were your feelings. You know, I don't think those are valid feelings. Those, are, uh, those aren't, sorry, that's a bad way to say it. We always validate their feelings, but I think sometimes those feelings do lie to us yes. right you can i can I can validate your feelings while saying "I think they're incorrect," and the reason they 're incorrect is because the way you see yourself or the way you see me and this is a real this is a real issue, so we can be corrected on our feelings, or what happens is the other person gets to see that their actions are really causing r- real. Um, consternation and struggle within our own hearts and our own soul. And so I, I think when, we, when we're when we owning our own feelings and then wrestling through it with someone else, that's how conflict is resolved in a healthy way. Number three, make it issue-oriented, not personal. Make sure that what you're fighting about is an important issue and not something unimportant. My wife and I have been married 24 years and we have had a few big fights. But we rarely fight over over uh, much anymore because everything's so small in our eyes. The only, only thing we ever really disagree about or fight about or have conflict over are pretty significant issues these days. But that's because we had 24 years of really working on it. And so we get irritated but then we fix it immediately. So there, make it issue oriented and not personal. Don't, no personal attacks. Number four, listen empathetically. Listen empathetically. First of all, just look at the word listen. Sometimes you should just stop talking. Sometimes you should just stop saying things. But empathetically means empathy. The root of the the meaning is about seeing the issue from the other person's point of view. Listening in their place. Listening from their point of view. Put yourself in their shoes. There's a famous story in the Seven Habits of Highly Effective People book, and he's talking about this idea, and it's a, a, a story of a man who was in a subway, and his kids were all there, and the kids were just make, going crazy in the subway, and they were bothering people, and they were, they were bumping up next to people, and people in the subway were so irritated. finally, one gentleman f- looked at the dad and said, hey, sir, your kids are bothering everybody on this subway. And the man looked up, kind of in a daze, and said, I- "I'm so sorry. We just came from the hospital, and their mother died. And I'm, I just, I don't know what to do." That guy who was complaining had a new perspective. He was okay with the kids. I think we have to s- listen to each other and put ourselves in each other's shoes. Number five, choose the right tone and timing. I think there are two issues that constantly influence tone and t- or communication, and it's tone and timing. Did you, have you ever heard your spouse say when you ask, hey, are you okay? And they turn back to you and they say, I'm fine. <laughs> you said you were fine, but that tone tells me something else. Listen, conflict can be it can be minimized, it can it can be worked through, it can be resolved if you have the right tone and timing. Finally, I'll end with this. Number three, I choose to focus on the good and not the bad. Philippians 4 8 says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable. If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. This is what This is what God wants from us as his people. That these are the things we're thinking on. These are the things that we're absorbing in our hearts and our minds with one another. That we're thinking on good things rather than bad things. And we all have a choice whether to, to focus on the many good things that people do or to focus always on the bad things that people do. Listen, some of you are going to supper for six groups, right? And you're going to people's houses for the first time. And you're walking in and you're like, Ooh, weird furniture. <laughs> you know, everybody has a, sm- their, their house has a smell, right? <laughs> somebody will, somebody may be a, somebody, you may sit down and you're having dinner and somebody makes a comment and you're like, what's wrong with that dude? There is a way of dealing with people that is all negative. Yeah, right. Shouldn't we be the community of people that give people the benefit of the doubt? Shouldn't we be the people that that think positively about people? You know, God thinks positively about you and me. Do you realize that? He knows how we're made. He understands, but he believes in our potential. And he makes a way for us to be all that he wants us to be. He he wants the best for every one of us. That's the way we've got to treat each other. That's the way we've got to look at our community. That's the way we've got to look at one another is we need to believe the best about people rather than assuming the worst. This is what 1 Corinthians 13 says. I'm gonna read it in the Message Bible, and I'll close with this. It says, love never gives up. Love cares more for others than for self. Love doesn't want what it doesn't have. Love doesn't strut doesn't have a swelled head, doesn't force itself on others, isn't always me first, doesn't fly off the handle, doesn't keep score of the sins of others, doesn't revel when others grovel, takes pleasure in the flowering of truth, puts up with anything, trusts God always, always looks for the best, never looks back, but keeps going to the end. Close your eyes and bow your heads and I want you to pray a prayer with me. And I want you just to imagine for a moment how Jesus came to the earth and he came to deal with the conflict that we had with God. Sin created conflict and Jesus came to resolve that conflict. He came and gave his life he came and offered himself to you and to me. He's the reason we can pray this prayer right now and, and be changed. You don't, have to, you don't have to do it on your own. You don't have to love another person just with your own will or your own strength. The love of God can come into your soul, into your life, right here, right now, and change you in a moment. Now you'll have to make fundamental decisions and you'll have to be committed to this idea. But He can do something in you to make a decision about how you're going to deal with relationships. Some of you are really hurt. So it's really hard to focus on good things. You've been wounded in your past. Listen, I I just want to tell you, I understand that and so does God. And He wants to share His love with you and He wants to wipe the slate clean. He wants to heal you. He wants to forgive you. Some of you are so angry all the time. You realize it's because there's this fight in you that you're not settled with who you are. You're not settled with where you are. Would you let God come in and say, it's okay, son. It's okay, daughter. I know where you are and I'm with you. Some of you need to surrender to his love today, his life, his heart, so that your marriage can be restored. Some of you need to surrender so that you can stop overreacting. Some of you need to commit to talk it out again because you've been walking away. Would you be willing to come and walk to Jesus Himself here today, would you be willing to surrender everything to Him and to let Him forgive you of your sin? And I'm I'm just gonna take a moment here and I don't wanna I don't wanna belabor the point, but I, I think this is a big deal. And, and if you you sense that the Holy Spirit speaking to you, God is speaking to you and saying, I I want this part of your life. I want you to really work through this and settle it, commit to this kind of community. Whether it's in your marriage or your work or just it's in your soul, it's in your heart and you realize it's there and you wanna get rid of it. I'm not gonna embarrass you and I'm not gonna call you forward, but if if this is you and I'm describing you, I just want you to raise your hand in the air and say, yep, that's me, Pastor Ross, pray for me. Pray for me today. I need to resolve these things. I need to deal with these unresolved issues that are creating so much conflict. Who else? Yeah, so good, who else? Anybody else? Yep, over here on the right, over here on the left, yep. Yeah, don't hesitate, this is the moment, this is like an act that you're gonna do, say, yep, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say this, I'm not gonna be ashamed, I'm not gonna be embarrassed. Anybody else? Who else? Okay, all right, put your hands down. Come on, let's all pray this prayer together. I want you to repeat these words after me, it's not really about the words, it's about what's in your heart, but let's pray this together. Come on, everybody, everybody in the room, Everybody say, Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus who came to resolve the conflict in my heart. I receive him. Jesus, I receive you. Have your way. Forgive me for all the unresolved conflict, for insisting on my own way, for my poor actions, and overreactions. I want to reflect you in my life, in my marriage, in my family. Forgive me, Lord. Now heal me. Heal me, Jesus. Take control of my life. Lead me forward and I'll follow you. Thank you for this. In Jesus' name, Amen.